Hey, Pastor Derwin, so excited to have you on the show with us. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, man, um, this is this is an honor and privilege. You know, um, I remember you in high school. I remember dropping a note off in your locker when you played football at Liberty. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I remember when you were deciding about vocational ministry and I was like, man, you should, you should uh, come to Transformation Church. And now all these years later, it is just, I'm very uh, proud in a good way to see you flourishing and to see the things that you're doing, man. It makes my heart (laughs) smile. Thank you. Thank you. And, and for you guys who don't know, um, so I was previously a part of Transformation Church, uh, Pastor Derwin's church right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. But I've known Pastor Derwin for a while. Um, I remember seeing you at the Y in different places on the treadmill, <laughs> pumping some iron. Um, so it's, it's a pretty cool full circle moment for me to now be on this side of things and on a podcast, uh, on a podcast together. That's really cool. I think I joined Transformation Church at 23. Were you 23? 23, really young, right out of, basically right out of college. Yeah. (laughs) How old are you now? 30. Oh, snap, man. (laughs) Oh, man. When you're getting older, I'm not. (laughs) You still look good, though. Still look good. I don't know what's been going on. I need to bring some people in from my childhood because we've had your dad we've had pastor derwin on both these guys are just know you they're raving about you i need to bring some people on from my childhood brandon how come you never ask me to bring people on from my childhood hey you got to get that request in come on Beat me to the punch jason come hey, on now we'll hey, you have not because you asked not <laughs> yeah i suppose that's it i, I guess that's true I, it's coming back full circle. <laughs> anyway, we are so excited that you're here, Pastor Darren. Really, thank you for being a part of this conversation with us. Um, we have been in this series t- talking about race and the gospel. And uh, today we wanted to really kind of dive a little deeper into the theology side of it, into what the Bible is saying specifically and looking at it from a deeper perspective in that case. So we're really happy to have you on the show with us today. Um, I'm going to start you off with a super easy question, obviously, uh, which is not really that simple. <laughs> but the question is basically, why is it just not as simple as why can't we all just get along? Why? How come we can't just say that or think that? And then, you know, we snap our fingers and everybody's just hunky dory with each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, In 1992, I was a senior in college at Brigham Young, and I remember watching this video of this guy by the name of Rodney King, and the police were just just pulverizing him in Los Angeles. I actually use that in chapter eight of my book, where I open up with talking about police brutality and Rodney King. And the reason why we can't all get along is because we're fundamentally broken and shattered as, as human beings. You, you know, the, the term sinner, uh, in essence means this, we are subhuman and Jesus has taught us how to be human again. And so if Jesus had a campaign, it might be let's make humanity great again, right? Because Jesus came <laughs> as the prototype of who 
we were meant to be. That's why scripture calls him the last Adam. And so as a result of this, uh, we are broken people. And then even when we are born again, when the spirit of God comes into us, we have to be transformed. We have to be sanctified. And every, so, 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 so we are American Christians and the faith we've inherited has also come through a racialized culture. So for example, for many people, if you ask them, well, what is the gospel? They would say, well, Jesus died for my sins. And if I believe in him, I don't go to hell. I get eternal life. And what I would say is, well, that's a part of it. But first and foremost, the gospel is a royal announcement that Jesus is the saving king. And as a result of the king coming, he's bringing his kingdom to earth. And the way he brings his kingdom to earth is through his sinless life, his atoning death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and the sending of the spirit to do something, to give Abraham the family that God promised him in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, so Genesis 10, Genesis 11, God's family scatters. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, through you, I'm going to make this big family made up of all the families on earth. You get these people called Israel. Eventually, Jesus comes. He does his thing. And Acts chapter 2 is the reversal of of Genesis 11 and the fulfillment of Genesis 12, because in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and you see 16 different ethnic groups descend upon Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when they do that, they hear the gospel in their own languages. And then the gospel moves from being primarily a Jewish movement to a Jew and Gentile movement throughout the Roman empire. And here's the deal. A lot of the church does not understand that. We as pastors don't preach that. Um, what I like to say is we try to be so practical is we practically preach Jesus out of the message and we treat Jesus very individualistically instead of saying, no, he redeems me so I can become a part of the we, which is the family of God. And the family of God is not only have forgiveness of sins, but brothers and sisters with different colored skins. That is so good. And I don't, I don't want to just skip past that because I remember hearing that um, and thinking, oh my gosh, this is transformational for me. This is going to change my life. When it clicked over from, okay, I'm not just saved individually, but I'm saved into the family of God. And not only am I saved into the family of God, I get to be part of God's kingdom. And as a part of God's kingdom, we have things to do. We get to join God. We get to join with God on mission in the world, in our communities, in our families. And I remember thinking, this is a game changer. This is totally flipped my paradigm upside down. And it got me really excited to, to run and get after it. Um, and I think when we think about being saved, right? We're saved individually, we're saved corporately into the family of God. And we join God in this kingdom work. And I think if we can boil that down really to one word, what is God up to? Like if we, if we were to ask you or ask anyone will ask you, what's God up to in the world? What's he doing? I think a, a safe answer that we can boil it down to is reconciliation. God is yeah. redeeming all things. He's restoring all things and he's reconciling it, them back to himself. 
back into the right relationship with himself. Um, so one of the things that's been floating around, Pastor Derwin, has been this phrase that reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. Um, yeah. But this is a hard, I think, a hard leap for a lot of us to make because it hasn't been something that we've grown up in or have been taught or hear often. And one of the goals of this season for our podcast is to lift, lift this conversation of reconciliation out of political left and right mm-hmm. talking terms, but to see yeah. it as this is a, a kingdom issue that we get to be a part of. What does it mean? How is reconciliation at the heart of the gospel for us? Yeah. You, you know, you know, be, uh, that is a, that, that may be the most important question, right? Be, 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 because when we understand the gospel, God has always wanted to be with us. So in the garden of Eden, right? God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That's an anthropomorphic term for his presence. Eventually, uh, God tells the nation of Israel, build a tabernacle. I want to be with you. Build a temple. I want to be with you. And then Jesus comes. He is the temple, right? So God has always wanted to be with us. And so reconciliation means this. Because of our sin as human beings, we were divorced from God. God comes and he doesn't offer us a wedding ring. He offers us a bloody cross. And God is saying, I want to be with you again. I want to be your God. You be my people. So that's the vertical connection. And a cross is made this way. You have a horizontal beam, a vertical beam. And so reconciliation is we get reconciled to God vertically, and then we get reconciled to each other horizontally across ethnic and social economic lines. And it's important for everybody to understand this. Uh, This is so important, Jason, is when Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, you know, go make disciples of all nations. Typically, as Americans, we read that from a 21st century context, which is, okay, we're going to go make disciples. We're going to go over overseas. Now, that's true, and that's good, and that's right. In the first century Second Temple Jewish context, Jesus tells his Jewish disciples, go make disciples across ethnic lines. Go to the Gentiles. Now, time out. If I'm a Jewish person and Jesus is telling me that, my first thought is going to be, Jesus, wait up, wait, wait, wait. We're we're Jews. (laughs) You remember the Gentiles held us as slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Now, now, Jesus, now you remember the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Zebubites, the Presbytes, all these Gentiles tried to kill us. And then when we make it to the promised land, we're carried off into captivity by more Gentiles, the Babylonians. And now the Gentiles, the Romans are oppressing us, systemic injustice. Now, time out. You want us to go reach those people? By the way, on a side note, I wonder if the Gentiles in the first century told the Jews, why y'all always talking about the past Been slaves 400 years ago? I wonder why you're always bringing that that up. By the way, on a side note, whenever you read a sermon in the New Testament, it always starts with 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Why? Because the Passover is the redemptive story that we're being liberated and set free from the slavery of sin and death. So when Jesus tells his disciples, 
I want you to go to the Gentiles, the people who enslaved you, impressed, uh, 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 oppressed you, because the gospel is for the oppressor and the oppressed. So yeah, keep that good. in mind. That 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 was that was explosive for Jesus to say that. Yeah, I think that's so important. Is is there is literally nobody who that message leaves out. There's nobody that Jesus is saying except those people, or there's no no exceptions to that rule. It's go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus did such a, a good job of illustrating that, oh, he's even talking about the Samaritans. Oh, he's even talking about those people. Oh, he's even talking about the Gentiles. It's, it's literally, you cannot make an excuse for not seeking reconciliation with anybody. Like, there's no exception there. Unfortunately, Jason, uh, people are incredibly creative <laughs> not want to obey the commandment of love your neighbor as you love yourself. 90% of every historic black denomination in America is the result of racism mm. in the white church. Mm. Um, this, is, this is not like a distant past thing. Yeah. And so there's a reason why the overwhelming majority of churches in America are what's called homogeneous. And it's not because of population. It's because of ministry methodology. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is because there are people who are saying, well, if we do certain things, these people are going to come. So, for example, if someone were to say, yeah, man, we welcome everybody, but all the elders are white. All the preachers are white. The music is white. Uh, And you walk in, you're going to say that is a white church. If all the elders were, were black and the music was, you say that's a black church. And so a lot of times when we begin to get underneath the niceties, we actually find these riptides of hatred and discord. The racist that I'm most concerned about is not the ones with swastikas or hoods on their hats. It's the ones who say, well, I'm not a racist. I just wouldn't let my son marry a black girl. Those are the ones, those are the most dangerous ones, the ones who say that they're not, but those are the same people in position to lead churches, Mm -hmm. position to hire, position to fire, and all types of things. And so we as the church have got to um, gospel those issues and have a come to Jesus moment. You know, I'm, I'm curious. So you said, you know, we got to get under the niceties. And when we get under that, it's it's pretty raw. That current is moving pretty fast. Um, and I think for a lot of us, it it's it's unfamiliar. It's unknown. It's scary. Um, you kind of get swept up in it. What do we need as believers, as the body of Christ? What do we need to do to prepare ourselves to get underneath that surface layer of of niceties, you know, the well, surface layer of don't rock the boat, don't talk about it, don't really look at it too long, it'll go away. How do we get under that and what do we need yeah. when we get there? Yeah, so the first thing is I would say is for anybody who says, well, if you don't talk about racism, it'll go away. Well, that doesn't work for abortion or any other sins. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's just throw that out. Um, The first thing we need, Brandon, is an understanding that this is God's heartbeat, that this is a Jesus Christ 
gospel issue. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, Christ is our peace. He tore down the dividing wall that brought the hostility. He took Jews and Gentiles. He made them a new humanity, a new person. Like this is God's heart, heartbeat. That's one. Number two is our identity has to be in Christ and not a nation. Let me say that again. Our identity has to be in Christ, but not a nation. Let me say it one more time for the people. (laughs) Our identity has to be in Christ and not a nation. And so what happens is a lot of times people will have a Christian nationalism, whereas as if Jesus wasn't American. It's important for us to understand. I love the United States of America. I'm so thankful that I am an American citizen. But my first citizenship, according to Philippians 3.20, is I am a citizen of of heaven. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. So therefore, I can critique my nation where there is systematic injustice. I can critique my brothers and sisters in Christ where they have supported systemic injustice and racism. But for those being critiqued, when your identity is in Christ, there's no shame. There's no guilt. What there is, is an opportunity to learn. And a lot of times people are not willing to learn because they're not rooted in Christ. They're rooted more in a narrative that says, well, if you critique America, you're critiquing me. And it's important to understand that in every single war in the history of this country, black people have died. The first person to die in the Revolutionary War was Crispus Atkins at the Boston Tea Party, which, by the way, was a riot. (laughs) (laughs) It was. It was. It's Um, Go for it, Jason. I got some. I got some. Um, um, So we wanted to make sure that we talked about your new book, The Good Life, which just came out recently. Um, And you said in the book, you say, um, if we belong to Christ, we are clothed in Christ, and we are the promise that God fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It's hard to look down on someone who is clothed in Christ, just like you are. So I wanted to use that as kind of a launch point in talking about how we've heard that Jesus brings peace, and you talk extensively in the book about Ephesians 2. Um, it gives us a glimpse of that. So, so how are we best to understand that? How are we best to understand what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, so for the Apostle Paul, he had the difficult task of building churches throughout the Roman Empire that were built upon people who were blood enemies, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female. And the commonality was this. Because of the precious blood of Jesus, all of us are clothed in Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, all those who are in Christ are clothed in Christ. Then verse 28 of Galatians 3 says this, therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, what that means is this, Jews are not superior to Greeks or Gentiles, and Gentiles are not superior to Jews. We don't do ethnic assimilation We do ethnic accommodation. Differences are not obliterated. Differences are celebrated. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Yep. It's because we're all clothed in Christ. The CEO and the garbage man clothed in Christ. Male, feet, 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 female, co-heirs in Christ, clothed in Christ. So for a believer of Jesus Christ to have ethnic superiority is an oxymoron when we're clothed in Christ. That's why I go back to my second point is most believers don't see themselves as identity in Christ. And here's what's beautiful is God takes our differences and that makes us different for the better. Uh, B, since you guys are, are at Saddleback now, one of the new things that I've been saying a lot is it's our differences that makes us different for the better. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to be colorblind, Jason. We want yeah. to be color blessed. Yeah. So like your culture, your background matters in God's redemptive story. Brandon's grandmom is white. Mm-hmm. I don't know it's if true. y'all know that. She's upstairs right now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, like if you two were walking. Very fair skin. Yeah. If you two were walking downtown, people would think that Brandon's grandmother is yours, Jason. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And so yeah. The, the point is, is that when we're clothed in Christ, we embrace our cultural uniquenesses and differences because it's the difference that makes us better. And if we're around sameness, we stay stuck in echo chambers of ignorance. And so God knew what he was doing when he put Jews and Gentiles together because we see life from different perspectives. And each of those perspectives are a perspective that we see with the eyes of Christ from. And that's what allows us to grow. So case in point, uh, Pastor Rick Warren is a mentor, a friend. Uh, he's cooked steak and eggs for me at 12 o'clock at night. I've spent the night. At, I've learned so much from him, and I think he's learned just a little bit from me. But imagine if you have a whole church with that type of proximity. Proximity breeds intimacy. Intimacy into me, you see. That's so good. And, you, you know, one of the things that we've been saying on this podcast is our ethnic identities, our skin colors, our, the curl patterns in our hair, uh, the, the, our, our facial features, all of these things are literally, literally the wisdom and creativity of God made in God's image. God said it just right the way he wanted it and said that it was good. Um, and Pastor Derwin, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you said uh, in Ephesians 2, that Jesus is our priest, that he's torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Um, But then it goes a step further. And I want to read a portion of your book from chapter eight of The Good Life. And don't worry, guys, we will link in the show notes some amazing resources, some books that Pastor Derwin has written, um, and some things to help you get up to speed and to help you um, in this conversation. But Pastor Derwin, you wrote this. You said, When Jesus correlated our happiness with being peacemakers in a world of violence, injustice, and hardship, his statement would have been considered radical. Jesus' method of eradicating the Romans from the promised land was not to cast them out with the sword, but to usher them into the peace of God so so they could become peaceful people. 
Likewise, on the other side of that, his method of transforming the corrupt Jewish religious establishment was by giving them the peace of God so that they could become peaceful people. For Jesus, seeking vengeance is the tool of the ungodly. The Prince of Peace, that's Jesus, was sent to a world devoid of peace to create peacemakers. What I'm curious about, so you're writing about Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, um, and you just wrote a book on this, The Good Life. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for, for they will be called children of God. How, so we see this, this, this thread start to start to be, to show, you see in Ephesians 2, that Jesus is our peace. And then you also see Jesus speaking himself in Matthew 5 of blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, you know, in, in my kingdom, this is what it looks like to live and to flourish. Blessed are the peacemakers. We also have this ministry of peace, but how, how do we practice being peacemakers? Is there anything like you to be a peacemaker? You got to know this. How do we do it? How do we practice that? Yeah, man. Uh, I would say the first thing that I'm often reminded of when I want to respond in vengeance is to remember that I was God's enemy, but yet Jesus came to make me a friend. Mm. So I think the first thing, B, is we always start upward when we recognize, oh my gosh, Romans 5.10 says, for while we were enemies of God, we were saved by the death of his son. How much more will we be saved by his life? So it starts with I don't deserve friendship with God. That's why it's called grace. And so now that I've been graced, I go into the world giving grace. And so a peacemaker is not passive. A peacemaker enters into conflict with hopes and desire for reconciliation. A peacemaker um, goes across ethnic and cultural boundaries to reach the other with God's grace. Now, here's the thing about peacemaking, right? So uh, a peacemaker or someone who reconciles is a bridge builder and bridges get walked on. I would rather get walked on trying to love so someone can go to the other side instead of putting up walls and keeping people out. There's a Same great material. There's a great philosopher. His name is T'Challa. You may know him as. <laughs> and he said, in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, but fools build walls. It is time that we see ourselves as a single tribe. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are the single tribe. We are the family of God made up of all the families on earth. And so what I would say for people listening right now is please, please filter the world through the Bible, not late night cable news. That's good. Please filter the world through the Bible not CNN, not MSNBC, not Fox News, not through politics. Jesus is the lamb. He's not an elephant. He's not a donkey. 
Our political party is the Lamb of God. Should we vote? Yes. Do I vote? Absolutely, I vote. One of the primary reasons I vote is because there were so many people, my ancestors who looked like me, who couldn't vote, but who died, who were lynched, who had dogs let loose on them so I could exercise the right to vote. So I'm going to vote. But please understand this. I know that the voting power has limitations. Supreme power is not found in the White House. It's found at the one who's sitting at the right hand of majesty on high. And peacemakers are people who draw power from the Lord to say, Lord, um, get any poison out of me that has any form of ethnic superiority. Uh, Because if we as the church do not have ethnic unity in Christ, what hope is there for the world? Like, I'm thankful for Black Lives Matter movement. I don't agree with everything that they do. I'm not a part of Black Lives Matter movement. We planted Transformation Church before Black Lives Matter movement exists. Dr. King marched before Black Lives Matter movement exists. Jesus had the Apostle John write, every nation, tribe, and tongue will be around the throne of God before Black Lives Matter's movement. My point is this, racial reconciliation is a Jesus movement, and it's time for Jesus's people to step into it. And people go, well, what can I do practically? Here it is. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like, would you want your children to be in cages because their parents were escaping a country that was war-torn? Probably not, right? So, right. We need borders, no question, but we also need to put borders around people's humanity and dignity and worth. Every human being is made in the image of God. Here's a a practicality. Treat every person like Jesus died for them because he did. Hebrews 2.9. And um, what I would say to, I'm not sure who this is for, but um, I sense that there are listeners going, all right, so 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 what are so what can I do? Okay, um, I was enemy, now I'm a friend. So the first thing is listen to the story of the other. Listen to people's stories. Um, secondly, learn how to lament. Like we need to learn to lament to go. God, how have I missed this? God, my heart breaks for how we've not loved each other as the multicolored family of God. So, 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 you know, you, you listen, you lament, and then, you know, you learning, right? And then the the big one is leverage. How do I now leverage my life to not just be, well, I'm not racist to, well, I'm actually anti-racist, which means I'm pro-loving people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the unique things about the church is that we are probably the only we no we're not probably we are the only people that can offer reconciliation yes you know there's plenty of groups can fight for justice and equity but can't offer that extra step of reconciliation and the church can not only fight for justice and equity this is central to the gospel but then we can also take it a step further and say and we can offer a better more beautiful way forward being reconciled to God and to each other. And that is um, something I want us all to understand, right? When we talk about Black Lives Matter movement, the organization, the institution, or Black Lives Matter, the sentiment, do Black Lives Matter? I think we get so caught up in, uh, are we talking about the organization or are we talking about the, the, the thought process or the sentiment of it? And 
I think as Christians, we got to take a step back before we even get to that. We got to understand we're not taking our cues from whatever is popular in the cultural moment. This is deeply a part of God's word. This is deeply part of God's heart. And because it's a part of his heart and his word, it's a part of us because we're brought into this story. And when we are out in the world, we have to understand we get to demonstrate the reconciling power of God as we're reconciled to each other. There's nobody else that can do that. We have a unique responsibility and privilege that other people and other groups just cannot offer. And um, for me, when we think about this conversation, that is incredibly important. And that fires me up because uh, Pastor Derwin, you also wrote, people who don't know Christ, they want a demonstration of the gospel before they get an explanation of the gospel. You said our togetherness speaks the language of God's love. And what better way than right now in this time to speak the language of God's love than to be reconciled with each other. And Pastor Duran, we always end our episodes on a doable. So we, we call our this doable discipleship, right? So we're trying to make it hands-on, something you can sink your teeth into, something that you can do. So from Pastor Irwin's book, we, we put together this little self-assessment from these questions. There's just three questions we're going to ask. We want you to think about them, to pray through them, to write it down in a journal where you can see it. And here are the three questions. Here is our doable for this episode. The first question is this. Would people who read your social media posts, posts say, say you are a peacemaker? So if people come across you on social media where they say that person is a peacemaker, that person's a reconciler. The second is this, how would people say you interact with people on the opposite end of the political spectrum? So I understand that we're going to have some type of leaning one way or the other, but how would people, when they come in contact with you, when they see you, how would they say, Hey, this person, uh, this person treats others who don't necessarily line up with them or think like they do with love, with dignity, with respect. How would people say you interact with people on the opposite end of the political spectrum? And then the third is this. Would people say you pursue peace amid the racial division in America? So right now it seems like it's more heightened than ever, especially for us in this time. What would people say of you? Would people say that person's a reconciler, that person's a peacemaker? Would they say that person pursues peace amid the racial division, that they are something that that person can offer and I want to learn and I want to know why they are the way they are? Would people say you pursue peace amid the racial division in America? So that is the assessment for a peacemaker that we want you to think about to, and to honestly pray through. Um, and to share with somebody, share with us, write us an email at maturity at saddleback.com. Um, put this down where you can see it, where you can revisit it and let God do a deep work in your heart. Cause we'll be across the board, across the spectrum in this, but this is how we grow. This is how we learn. This is how we heal. And this is ultimately how we move towards each other. So with that, I want to kick it back to you, Pastor Derwin. Anything you want to plug, anything that you're excited about right now that we should know? Yeah, man. Um, I'm excited about that rift you went on about three minutes ago. You was blessed. <laughs> I wanted you to keep going. It was it was nourishing me, man. It was Get some organ sounds on here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can put that in Zoom, but hey. That, that, was, uh, <laughs> that was so good. So, so what I would say is... <clears throat> 
the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, is a living portrait of that new and better way to be human, right? Mm. And so the word blessed is the Greek word macro. So it really could be translated, happier the poor in spirit, happier those who mourn, happier the peacemakers. So Jesus is inviting us into a happiness that's not necessarily about good things happening to us, but us becoming good which means we'll become good for the world. And so in the midst of COVID, in the midst of all this craziness, what a great time to laser focus on the Beatitudes and learn what it means to experience the happiness that Jesus offers. That's a great word. That's good. And I just wanted to add to looking back on those self-assessment questions that Brandon just talked about for the doables. Um, If you want to see kind of a good example of what it looks like to live these out properly, um, I follow Pastor Derwin on on Twitter, and I think he does a great job of communicating with people, of responding to people who may not say the nicest things to him. (laughs) And I've just always thought that you've done just an amazing job at how you handle other people's, uh, what's the way to say it? When the they, things that they may say. When they, when, they, when they type things with their fingers that they would never say to me face to face. Exactly, that thing, yeah. <laughs> so, Whatever that's called. Yeah, Twitter fingers. So kind of what I want to try to do is I want to try to model how to engage respectfully, lovingly, without uh, being a jerk. Uh, even even Christians, it's like social media has turned us into piranhas where we just want to eat everybody's flesh and then leave just bones there. And so we can disagree without being disagreeable. And I can love you without agreeing with everything that you write. And so from time to time, I will engage. But if people just get utterly... Uh, bambastic, then I just end the conversation. But several people I've actually been able to win over because I didn't respond vengeance for vengeance. Listen, an eye for an eye makes everybody blind. That's right. That's right. I think that's a good place to wrap. Pastor Derwin, where can we find you online? Where can we find your sermons? How can we connect with you? Yeah, so I think the best way is for everybody to go to DerwinLGray.com, DerwinLGray.com, and you can get to Transformation Church. You can also get my book, The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness, which last week I found out was a national bestseller. I've never done that there before. There you go. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, that's huge and epic. So Congratulations on that. That's congrats. so cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so everybody go to DerwinLGray.com. Also, we want to make sure to note that you have a podcast, too, called a Marinade on This. Is that, is that what it's called? Yep, Marinade on That. And it looked like your most recent interview was with Beth Moore, so that looks awesome. Yes, you guys need to go listen to that. Uh, Beth Moore was phenomenal. And then my son and I did a podcast the week before. He uh, has gone through uh, – he has retired – from football to pursue just some incredible things. And God is doing amazing things uh, in his life. It, it, is, so cool. it is riveting. That's awesome. And it looked like you were teaching on a new small group study that's in the works to come out too. Is that what I saw? Probably. 
<laughs> Jason letting I, the cat out of the bag. <laughs> I saw some behind the scenes pictures that I just wanted to make sure I, I saw that correct. Um, yeah, I am cool. in the process of writing a new book on prayer. That won't be out till oh, 2021. Cool. Uh, I'm doing a Bible study on the book of Ephesians with Zondervan and a couple more projects as well. So God has been very, very gracious. But as Brandon knows, this is this is 20 plus years of tilling yeah. the soil, planting seeds, watering, fertilizing, and watching God do That's the growth. Yeah, that's so cool. That's it. That's it. Well, we were excited to have you on, you guys. We will put all of these links in the show notes so you can get to it easily. Pastor Derwin, again, thank you so much for blessing us with your wisdom, um, sharing with us, unpacking scripture for us. We're grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you, man. Talk talk to y'all later. Peace. All right. Thanks, man. See you. We'll be back soon. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week